go behind you You're weeping and rejoicing, yes Oh, if our God is for us Who can stand against us? He's fighting for me He's fighting for you Amen, church, we send this blessing out to you this morning. Would you be blessed this week? And you're coming and you're going and you're weeping and you're rejoicing through the trial, through the storm, through the good, through the bad. Know that he is for you. Our God is for you. Jesus, we love you. honor is yours, Father. Amen. 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 and God bless everyone who's uh, tuned in this morning. We want to just uh, um, continue that ble the blessings of that song and, and direct them specifically to all you mothers that are tuning in this morning. We are so blessed. Every one of us, sons and daughters, uh, one of the greatest blessings that God has given you is or has given us as you. And I'm sure you feel the same way about your children. And so we just want to bless every mom. We, we pray that this day, as awkward and as different as it is from every other Mother's Day celebration, that this would be a day where you would be, you would experience the glory and the presence of God in ways like never before. As you are in the company of your family, um, some of you might be by yourselves, but I pray that even if you're by yourself, that you would know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are right there with you, and they think highly of you. You're highly favored. You're blessed. And so we, 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 we praise God for every one of you mothers, and specifically for those of you that are part of this family, because I know you personally, and we are blessed to have an amazing group of, of women in this church, mothers, who are, are doing a fabulous job in raising their children in the fear of the Lord. And so we send you from our pastoral family to you uh, a happy Mother's Day today. So uh, we started last week, and, and that's going to be the, the, basically the gist of my Mother's Day spiel. I don't bring a Mother's Day message this morning. I'm just going to continue um, what we started last week. But I pray that whatever word God brings this morning, that it would be unique to moms. Amen. He'll find a way, the Holy Spirit will find a way to make this word unique to you. We started last week in the book of, of Philippians and... Um, um, chapter 1, and we just felt impressed 
during this time as we've been praying, we felt impressed by the Holy Spirit to speak on this book of Philippians. It's not one of the largest books as far as the, the contents of his writing, but it's profound in, in, in the message that it contains. And it is a, a letter that was written by a man during a time where he was being tried and tested. It was written not by someone that was sitting in some cottage by the beach or, or uh, on a vacation. No, this man was actually uh, a prisoner. And he was a prisoner of one of the cruelest uh, systems that ever existed in the history of the world. That is the Roman uh, system. Um, as a matter of fact, it was under that uh, political system that Jesus Christ had been crucified, that Jesus Christ was, uh, was put through the torments and through the, through the uh, uh, abuses that he was put when he was uh, nailed on that cross. It was under that same system, the, the Roman Empire. And so it was in that system that Paul finds himself imprisoned, not because he had committed a crime, but because he had simply been a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is good news. Uh, it's almost uh, like, how could you really justify that? That someone for bringing good news would be persecuted, would be prosecuted, would be put in jail waiting uh, to be sentenced. And there was always a possibility that he would be sentenced to death. So even as he sits in this prison cell, not knowing what would be, uh, you know, how, how this all would end, Paul finds uh, the joy, the courage to write some of his most profound writings. For example, he wrote from the jail or from the prison in Rome, he wrote the letters to the Ephesians, he wrote the letters to uh, the Colossians, he wrote the letters to the uh, 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 Philippians, and he also wrote the letter uh, to his personal friend Philemon. And so if you read these four letters, they contain such a message that is so contrary to what he's experiencing in his physical body. His message of joy, message of hope, message of encouragement. And so he gives us an example, folks, of how when we have Christ in our lives, when we are uh, living in alignment with the will of God, no matter what we go through, no matter what circumstances we face, there is a joy that lives in us. There is a joy that resides in us that is beyond human understanding and rationale. And that's why when the, when the world looks at a true believer, and they watch us as we go through trials and tribulations, and they see that we act differently. It, it is one of the most powerful testimonies that we can give to the world. Our conduct, our behavior, uh, our actions, how we respond uh, when we're under fire. And so when you're a believer like Paul, no matter what he was in and what he found himself in, he found joy. And so he's able to write these letters of encouragement, a man of hope uh, to his brethren. And so 
As we spoke last week, chapter one, he begins by giving greetings to this group that was special to him. He begins by identifying himself as a slave or servant of Jesus Christ. We spoke last week that Paul would use the credentials that would identify with the content of the message that he was about to relate. And so he is writing as a servant of Jesus Christ because he's writing to a people that had been subjected to persecution and had been uh, subjected to, to mockery and, and, and uh, uh, there were enemies that had risen to try to bring down the work of God in Philippi. And so Paul is writing to them and using this opportunity to encourage them. Now, if there's anyone that you would think would need encouragement, was Paul. He was in prison. He was bound. But yet, he finds courage in the midst of his circumstance. What's the explanation to that? We can't give an explanation to that other than when God is in our lives, when Jesus reigns in our hearts, amen, then we find joy in the midst of sorrow. We find joy in the midst of trouble. We find joy and peace in the midst of hardship because that's what he is. He brings peace, amen, and he brings joy to our lives, amen. And so he's writing to them, presents himself as a slave, amen. Those were the qualities, amen, that would, would help him or would help them to identify and to receive the message that he was about to relate to them. And so he's letting them know that he, he's willingly accepted the circumstances or the imprisonment that he was in. He views them as circumstances that not just happened in life, but they were ordained by God. I want you to know, if you love Jesus, if you follow Jesus, if you're a believer, a disciple of Jesus Christ, there's nothing that can happen in your life that would have caught God by surprise. In the contrary, he orchestrates he puts together all the aspects of our lives, and though he's not a giver of, of things that are evil or bad, but sometimes he will allow those things simply as a way, as, as giving us a platform upon what, where we can stand and be able to project the message of Jesus Christ in a way that is louder for many more to hear. Just like I'm standing on this pulpit or on this altar today, many would consider it a platform because it's elevated. And so usually when I preach from here in a, in a full building, amen, the, the projection of my voice would come clearer and louder because I'm at an elevated level higher than the audience that's listening. And so if we, if we use this analogy, I want you to understand that every time that you go through a trial and tribulation, God is actually giving you a pulpit. God is actually providing for you an altar, God is, ask, is providing for you a platform where you can stand so that as the people, the world, the lost look at you and they hear you, how you conduct yourself, how you express yourself. Uh, amen. What are your reactions in the midst of that trial and tribulation that you're going through? They're able to receive a clear message of hope and of peace and of encouragement. And so Paul is using this circumstance as a platform from where he could project the message, amen, that was probably heard louder than when he was physically with them in Philippi. As a matter of fact, we are testimony to that because we received this amazing letter 
from that platform. It was in that pulpit that he wrote this letter that not only encourages, encourages the people of Philippi at that time, but even encourages us today. And so may we learn from, from the apostle in the way that he of the example that he sets before us when you are going through adverse situations in life. Far from being a victim, Paul rejoices and will continue to rejoice in these circumstances. And so he unpacks uh, 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 the, the, the key to this throughout this letter. What is, what is the clue for him to feel this way, for him to be an encourager when he could have easily felt like a victim? That is all uh, seen as we continue to study this book of Philippians. And so, um, and so last week we spoke in the first 11 verses. Today we're going to start from verse number 12. And, and, and verse number 12, it, it does a transition. It goes from, from the introduction and the preliminary statements that Paul makes to the brothers in Philippi. Now he makes a transition, amen, and he begins to share the reason for this letter. And in verse uh, number 12, I want to read that verse. He says, I want you to know, and I'm reading from the ESV this morning, the ESV, English Standard Version. I think last week I read from the Amplifier. I like to use different versions. I uh, like to get the different feel of the different translations. They all have contain the same message. So whether you're reading it in the Amplifier, the King James, or the ESV, Basically, the message is the same. It's just a play with words, but it's just to help you better understand. So I'm reading from the ESV this morning. Uh, and he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Let me repeat that. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, because when the Bible uses the term brothers, it really speaks to both. It uses the same concept as when, when God speaks of Adam. There's certain times in Genesis when the word Adam is not the name of the first man, but is actually the, the word used to identify both male and female. And so when, when the writers of the Bible, they use the word brothers, is, is, is gender neutral. It's not necessarily specific to one gender, but it addresses both genders. Now, let me, let me clarify that. When I speak of gender neutral, I'm speaking of the only two genders that matter. Okay, I just want to make that, uh, you know, clear. We, we in the church, in this church at least, we believe that there's only two genders, male and female. Regardless of what society says, there's only two genders. So when Paul, when Paul speaks, he speaks to the only two genders that God identifies, which is male and female. And so he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, how could the gospel be advanced by someone who freely was able to travel to different places, preach the gospel, establish churches, he was, he was known as the apostle to the Gentiles. He was the first one that covered the European continent. The gospel had not left Jerusalem and its surroundings until the apostle Paul, amen, was brought into the scene. God called him so that he could be an apostle to the Gentiles. 
And so Paul is able to break barriers and he's able to reach places that had not been reached by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he did this as a free man. So how could the gospel be advanced now that he's in bondage, now that he is quarantined? Huh. Important for you to understand this. Because I want you to know that this time of quarantine does not excuse us from being proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, God has provided us many ways by which we can proclaim the message of the gospel even while we're limited to our homes and to our families. Just on a side note, you know, we have a lot of young people here in this church, a lot of young couples. And of course, these youngsters, you know, they're into all this social stuff. And so they finally twisted our arms and convinced us to get into Facebook. And so after all these years, we finally got into Facebook. And I tell you, I didn't realize how much further and how many more people you can reach through this forum than all the years that I've stood on this pulpit to preach a message. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching people in other parts of the, of the nation. I've even gotten people from other parts of the world that now we have this interaction and this communication. And we don't use it to promote what restaurant we went to or what, what movie we watched. Basically, I, I, I have friends that we simply use this, this, this forum to, to share, to build one another, to encourage one another, to, to build each other spiritually. And so, and, and, and so there's, there's some of them that are not believers. And so whatever I share, I make sure that what I share is something that has spiritual content, spiritual meat, because I understand that this is an opportunity that God gives me to reach someone that under normal circumstances I would not reach. Now, Paul didn't have the internet. Paul didn't have Facebook. Amen. But yet, in the midst of all those limitations and in the midst of his being bound, amen, to, to, to incarceration, he still finds a way to get the gospel and to spread the gospel. Little did Paul know, I'm sure that if he's watching us from the corridors of heaven, he's probably, saying, he's probably shocked and surprised at how far the message that he wrote while he was in that prison, how far it has reached. Because today, it is touching us. So he used the opportunity of him being in prison. He never sat back and said, well, I'm not doing anything else for God. You know, after all I've done for God, look how he's treated me. After all I've been through and after all the, the, the hardships that I've gone through to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to all these places, look where God has landed me. I ain't doing nothing else for the Lord. I'm just going to retire. I'm going to quit. I'm just going to sit here and pout and whine. No, Paul said, I'm going to use this time to do something productive. And so even as we are in quarantine, there's a lot of time that we have to do something productive. Amen. And so I encourage you, take advantage. Take the lesson from the Apostle Paul. Advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what he was doing. In the midst of these circumstances, he said the gospel of Jesus Christ is advancing. There's nothing in this world that can hinder the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we, amen, if we commit ourselves to being heralds, to being uh, uh, those that would proclaim it. There's nothing that would be able to detain the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, so let's keep reading. 
I want you to know, brothers, that what, was, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Wow. Wow. I mean, he had become a living testimony of how his situation, he had allowed God to use it as a way to reach people that he probably would have never reached had he not gone through this trial. Had he not gone through this situation, he probably would have never reached the people. He speaks about the imperial God. These are, if we were to think of them today, this would be like the, uh, what do they call those guys that, that, that protect the secret service? These are the cream of the crop when it comes to uh, uh, law enforcement. This is the top of the line. This is the elite. And in, in the Roman Empire, these were the top soldiers. Amen. You couldn't get soldiers that were more skilled and more qualified than these soldiers. These were the soldiers that were assigned to guard and to surveil Paul 24-7. And so in the midst of that imprisonment, in the midst of that house arrest where he couldn't go nowhere, he was taking up opportunity, advantage of these guys having to be around him. You see, he was in a physical prison. They were locked up with him. For whatever the shift was, he was taking advantage of that. They couldn't go nowhere. They had to stay there. That was their assignment. And so he would take advantage of that and begin to preach the gospel. And many of those prison guards not only heard the gospel, but they actually received the gospel and they accepted Christ as Savior. Now, these are some of the most hardcore people when it comes to uh, uh, people being receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul, in the midst of his situation, he was able, amen, to minister to them. And somehow the gospel of Jesus Christ broke through and they were able to be a fruit of, of his trial, of his situation. Amen. Hallelujah. See, sometimes we focus so much on the circumstance. And this is what I discovered. I discovered that the enemy uses circumstances to distract us from purpose. And sometimes our focus is so much in trying to get out of the trial and out of the problem rather than asking God, God, help us to see this thing from your point of view. And sometimes because we're so focused on trying to get out of the situation, we miss out on the opportunity to have an impact on other people's lives. I would dare to say that the prolongation of our problems and of our situations has to do not with the problem itself, doesn't have to do with God, because a lot of times when, when we pray and we don't receive an answer and God doesn't take us out of the, the, whatever it is that we're going through, amen, immediately we question God. And sometimes the prolongation of that trial, that tribulation, is simply because we have our focus on getting out of the situation rather than saying, God, help me to understand why is it that I'm going through this and help me to be fruitful in the midst of this. And a lot of times we pray and we ask God, 
to, to, to help us, to heal us, to deliver us, to take us out of this fiery trial that we're going through. And, and we don't hear no response. We, we think, well, God must have, must have abandoned me. God must not be listening to me. I must be in sin. No, it's not that. It's that God has a purpose behind that. And until you don't get your mind off of the trial and put it on God's purpose, God's reason for putting you through that situation and get into alignment with that, amen, then, then you prolong situation. So sometimes the problem is not the problem. The problem is our attitude to it. Let me repeat that. Sometimes the problem is not the problem. The problem is the way we act or the way we react to it. Because immediately we focus on ourselves. Oh God, deliver me. Oh God, heal me. Oh God, take this trial away from me. Oh God, I need provision. Oh God, amen. And so we're just focusing on ourselves. And I think that Paul is teaching us a lesson here. He's saying, I'm, on, I'm in this situation here. I don't know for how much longer I'm going to be here. I don't even know if I'll ever make it out of here. But I'm not going to waste my time whining and pouting and complaining. No, I'm going to find out what is God's purpose? What is God's reason for me to be here? And I'm going to just follow God's purpose. And so I would challenge you. I would encourage you. Amen. Even your prayers need to change when you're going through difficult situations. When you get a diagnosis, amen, from the doctors, amen. Don't only pray for God to heal you. Ask God, God, reveal to me your purpose. And then take advantage of the opportunities that God gives you. We have a gentleman that comes to this church. He's been with us way back since RWC. Now this guy, he's been a ball of pain. For as long as I know him. I'm not going to mention anything. He knows who he is. And people in the church know who he is. But this guy, with all the operations he's had, with all the hospitalizations he has, I mean, this guy calls me from the hospital. He calls me from the rehabilitation center. And, and he calls me basically to tell me, Pastor, I was able to minister to the nurse. I was able to minister to the, to, to the doctor. I was able to minister to the, my roommate. Some of them didn't want to hear me. Some of them looked at me like if I was crazy, but I was able to do it. In other words, this guy is someone that could easily fall back and give up on God with, with all the pain that he has in his body. His body is riddled, amen, with, with operations and, and so many things. But yet he finds a reason, a purpose for his pain, and he uses it to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ to whomever he finds. I'm telling you, when it comes to him, anything that moves is going to hear the gospel if they come across him. <laughs> anything that moves. If he finds a mouse in the room, he's going to preach to him the gospel because he's discovered that that's his, his life's purpose. Easily. I look at this guy and I say, oh my God, how, how can he even be so excited about sharing the gospel with so many people with all the pain and all the situations that he's gone through? And, and I'm telling you, for years, I know this guy for more than 20 years. And that's what he's been going through for all the time I've known him. But yet, he gets so exuberant. He gets so excited about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, even from the midst of his pain. We are fine. We are well. We are healed. Amen. And the furthest thing from many of our minds is to share the gospel with someone. And then we drown in a little cup of water. A little trial comes and immediately, I, 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 just, I just get amazed by how quickly people become spiritual. When a trial comes. <laughs> it's unbelievable how spiritual people, people become when a trial comes. 
And, and, and granted, that's great. When you're going through a crisis, that's when you need to seek God. But once you get over that crisis, don't turn your back on God. God is not an object, amen, for you to carry an amulet for you to carry in your wallet and pull them out whenever you need, whenever you need them. God is not an object for you to use. He's not your genie in the bottle. Amen. If you're going to serve God, then serve him wholeheartedly in the good times, in the bad times when you're going through trials. But when he takes you out of them, amen, be fruitful, be effective. Amen. Make a decision. Amen. Not simply to receive salvation, but to share your testimony, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone you come across. If we invested more time in discovering God's purpose and then walking in God's purpose for the situations that we go through in life, then we would waste less time. We would waste less time. Amen. In prolonging our trials and tribulation while we wind and while we pout. We will waste less time because we will be more fruitful, more effective. And the thing is that when you're engaged in the midst of a situation, when you take your eyes off of you and you put them on God and you, you say, God must have a purpose in this and I'm going to follow that purpose. I'm going to pursue that purpose. Sometimes the trial goes away and you didn't even know it left because you were so engaged in doing the work of God, rather than being engaged in whining and pouting and drowning in your situation, you were engaged in doing the work of God. Amen, that the problem leaves, God removes the problem, you didn't even know it. It's gone. Why? Because you invested yourself in finding God's perspective, God's purpose for your life as you go through whatever you go through. I'm speaking to someone this morning. I'm speaking to mothers right now that you've been praying for your children forever. I'm speaking to, to mothers that have probably been praying for, for an unsafe husband. Amen. And you have not seen the answer. My question to you is, what has been your attitude in the midst of this trial? How have you conducted yourself? Can you say that you've conducted yourself like Paul? that you've used your situation to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? Amen. If you haven't, then this is a challenge for you today. Begin to do that, and you're going to see how God is going to remove the situation and give you the freedom so that you could be even more effective. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Verse number 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial God and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Incredible. Not only was Paul projecting himself as someone who was not afraid. Listen, granted, he was in prison for pre preaching the gospel. So you would think that he was shut up in prison. Because that's the, that's the charge. That's the crime that he's been charged with. It's for preaching the gospel. So why would you continue to add charges to your case? Why? Because Paul had the joy of the Lord and he had the boldness. He did not consider his life a man above his assignment. The assignment to him and the cause for that assignment meant more to him than his own 
personal life. That's why he says, amen, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because when God transformed them and changed them, amen, and he received his assignment, amen, he was, he was, he was so transformed by that encounter with Jesus that he, he found value. He found that what mattered most to him now was not preserving Paul's physical life, but what mattered most to him now was to be a proclaimer, amen, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that same gospel that had transformed him, that same gospel that changed him, amen. It was his duty, it was his assignment to be a proclaimer of that gospel. And so he did it with boldness. When he should have remained shut, no, he preached. And so the people that he's writing this letter to they're receiving that same boldness and that same encouragement. I want you to know, there's people that are watching you when you're going through situations. There's people that are watching you, how you're going to respond when you're going through a trial, when you're going through, through, through some form of, of, of adversity. Amen. And what you project to them is what they're going to receive, and that's what they're going to act upon. If you project to them, amen, sorrow and woe of me, then that's exactly your children. They're going to do the same thing when they go through their situations. But if you're a person that understands that God is in control of your life, that no matter what you go through, God has orchestrated as part of, the, of a master plan that he has for your life so that you could be effective, so that you could be a soul winner, so you could be fruitful, then your children are going to learn that lesson. Those people that you influence are going to receive that same boldness, that same lesson. Amen. No better time for us to be bold. No better time for us to be, amen, uh, willing to do whatever we need to do for the cause of the kingdom than when we're going to trials and tribulation. Folks, there's so much stuff going on right now. And I've gotten video clips from multiple sources about all the stuff that's going on. People are all bent out of shape because Bill Gates is making some ignorant statements and he's acting like the Antichrist wanting to mark people and brand people and use the vaccine. And, and people are going, getting all out, bent out of shape. <laughs> they're, they're all concerned about this. Gentlemen, ladies, forget about it. Get focused on your assignment. Bill Gates cannot do anything. No human government can do anything that can stop us from fulfilling the assignment. As a matter of fact, I go as far as saying, I ain't worrying about no mark of the beast coming through some vaccine. I mean, that's the latest, the latest thing that's out there now. All these conspiracy coming from Christians. Who in the world cares about the mark of the beast? I won't be around for it. Who in the world cares about a vaccine? I won't be around. If that's what their vaccine is intended to, I won't be around for it. So I'm not worrying about that. I got, I got so much better stuff to deal with right now. Amen. I got so much better stuff to get engaged with right now that I can't get myself all bent out of shape because all of these conspiracies and all of these things that are coming out, amen, through, through YouTube and through every other. I tell the people in the church, folks, Shut that stuff down, man. Get into the word of God. Read the promises of God. Amen. The Bible says clearly, Paul says it in 1 Thessalonians, that the children of God are not destined to wrath. We are not destined to wrath. So whether a vaccine comes, whether this comes, whatever, whatever, it's not for me, folks. I got an assignment. 
I got something that God has called me to do. And the, whatever time I got left on this earth, I got to focus on that assignment and not get myself all worried with all this other stuff that's going on. It's time for the church to rise up, man. It's time for the church to tap into this boldness that Paul is, 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 is sharing with the people in Philippi and that they're actually receiving because it says that the boldness with which he was writing to them, that same boldness was contagious with them. And they were starting to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even in their own persecution, even as they're facing their own trials and tribulations, they are focused on spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Man, let's get ready, guys. Let's get ready. Let's take advantage. Let's get filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's spend time in the Word of God. Let's prepare ourselves so that when we go out there, when we have the freedom to share with others, and when others come into this room, amen, because I believe that after this is over, there's going to be an aftermath effect that's going to bring crowds, amen, to churches seeking, amen, for healing, seeking for restoration, seeking for deliverance, not only physical, but also spiritual and emotional. We got to be filled with the power of God. We got to be filled with boldness. We can't be focus on whether the mark of the beast is coming or not. We got to be focused on the fact that we have, while the day lasts, amen, I got to work. I got to do what God has called me to do. If you can shout amen right there in your living room, in your bedroom, whatever room, wherever you're watching, I would dare you to shout, holler an amen. Praise God. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying this to attack people. People have come to me with a sincere uh, inquiry. They want to find out. And I've responded to every one of these, of these uh, inquiries. And so I am telling everyone at large, forget about all the stuff that's going on. Focus on the word of God. Put your focus on Jesus. Take it even off your own personal situation. Stop being selfish and self-centered and begin to focus on what is it that God would have you do as you're being processed, as you're going through your trial and through your troubles. Amen. Praise God. Where am I? Verse number 15. Some indeed preached Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, meaning while Paul is in prison, there was a group that was trying to take advantage of his imprisonment. And they were preaching the gospel. He says they were preaching the gospel, but with the wrong motives. They were preaching out of envy and out of uh, rivalry. You know, you see that a lot in ministries today. See that a lot in churches. There's the spirit of competition, spirit of rivalry, rivalry. Who has the best looking church? Who has the most people? Who has the best programs? Who has the best worship team? Who has the best preacher? Who has the best this? Amen. And so a lot of times what, what goes on in church is not even, though, it, though it's, it's, it's preaching the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but the motives are wrong. And so he's addressing this. He's saying these guys are preaching. He didn't say they were preaching false doctrines. He says they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they're doing it with the wrong motives. They're doing it as a form of competition, as rivalry. 
But there's others that are preaching it, amen, from goodwill. And so the ones that are preaching from goodwill, they're doing it out of love, knowing that Paul's prison imprisonment, amen, is, is been for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, meaning the ones that are preaching out of rivalry and out of envy, they're proclaiming Christ. He didn't say they were not proclaiming Christ. They are proclaiming Christ, but they're doing it out of selfish ambition. Now, I want to tell you something. Ambition is a good word. I think every, every person should have ambition. I have an ambition to be the best man I could possibly be for the glory of God. The problem with the word ambition is when you add the word selfish to it. I think every believer should have an ambition to be the best believer, the best disciple, the best Christian, the best teacher, the best preacher, the best pastor, the best whatever that God has called you to be. But it must be motivated by you desiring to do it for God and to glorify God and to bring attention to God and not to self. Because if you're doing it to promote yourself, if you're doing it to exalt yourself, amen, if you're singing, if you're worship, if you're, your music abilities, you're doing it simply, simply so that people can see you, then you're doing it for selfish motives. And though you might be singing the right songs, preaching the right message, teaching the right lessons, but if you're doing it with selfish ambition, then God is not taking pleasure. And when people do things out of selfish ambition, simply because they're insecure in their call, they're even insecure as to whether they're, they're really... Saved or not, they're insecure. And so they, that insecurity leads for you to do things with wrong motives. And so Paul is saying, don't follow them. Follow those that are doing it. Amen. From a good will, with a good heart, with the right attitude. Amen. And so... He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So he's saying there's two groups that are preaching the message. One is wrong motives, one is right motives, but as long as they're proclaiming the message, I'm happy. <laughs> in other words, God is going to take care of the group that's doing it with selfish ambition because at the end of the day, God's going to be the judge. Paul didn't have as much of a problem for someone with the wrong motives to preach the gospel than he did for someone with the right motives to preach a false gospel. And so in other letters, he addresses the false teaching. Even in this letter in chapter 3 and 4, he addresses the false teachers. Now, he had a big issue with those guys because they were preaching a false gospel. But with these guys, yeah, they were kind of a, you know, a thorn on the side, but, but let them preach. Let them preach. Let them promote. Let them, let them be self-ambitious. As long as they preach the gospel, let them preach. God is going to take care of them. God is going to handle them. Amen. I would challenge you, don't ever get caught up in rivalry. Don't ever get caught up in this back and forth. And You know, I gave up on that. You know, all of us as pastors, we always want to have, what pastor doesn't want to have the, the biggest congregation? There's a time in our life and in our ministry where, yeah, that was one of our ambitions. But after 25 years, it don't matter to me anymore. All that matters to me is that Christ is being exalted, that people are being saved, that the people that God has brought and placed them under our care, that they're growing spiritually. And that's all that matters to me at the end of the day. I am not interested in what 
so-and-so is, is doing out there, what that other ministry is doing out here. What? Listen, if they're doing it for the glory of God, we bless them. If they're doing it for the wrong motives, just preach the gospel. God is going to deal with them. It's not my business to have to address or to have to try to compete with them. We have, we have in this church, we have our own culture. Like every congregation should have a culture. And our culture is unique. It's unique to RLS. We do things in RLS that might be different than it being done, but we don't want to be a replica. We don't want to be a replica of what everybody else is doing. God has given us a culture, and we follow that culture because part of our culture is to glorify God, is to exalt him in everything that we do. That's why we preach the unedited, unadulterated, uncompromising word of God. That's why we emphasize on extravagant worship, not extravagant in, 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 in the quality of the music. No, extravagant in the spirit of the worship that we bring to God. That's why we preach in prevailing prayer. This church is always praying. We've been praying for the last seven or eight weeks, 24-7. We have a rotation because we believe in prevailing prayer and persevering prayer. And that's why we promote community. Those are the four pillars of this congregation. So that's part of our culture. And so, hey, that's what we're in and that's what we are invested in. Amen. Now, let us, let us, as we reach the final verses of this chapter, amen. He says, yes, I will rejoice. And again, he uses that word, word joy or rejoice. He uses it at the beginning of the chapter. He ends it now towards the closing uh, of his letter or of this first chapter. He uses the word, yes, I will rejoice. What is rejoice? I looked it up this morning. Let me see if I have it here. Simple but biblical meaning of rejoice. This is what rejoice is. It is to experience joy and gladness at its highest degree. It is to be exhilarated with lively and pleasurable sensations. It is to exult. Let me repeat that. To rejoice from a biblical perspective, it is to experience joy and gladness in a high degree. In other words, the degree of joy and gladness that we're experiencing raises up above our circumstance. That's really what that means. When you experience that joy of the Lord, it raises you above the feelings that are brought about by adversity or trials or tribulation. It is to be exhilarated with lively and pleasurable sensations. It is to exult. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, the Bible says. But when the wicked bereave rule, the people mourn. Psalms 9, it says, I will rejoice in thy salvation. Rejoice to make joyful, to gladden, to animate with lively, pleasurable sensations, to exhilarate. And so Paul is telling these people, listen, in the midst of these chains, I am exhilarated with joy. In the midst of these chains, in the midst of this imprisonment, in the midst of these limitations, the joy of the Lord is so tangible in my life that, man, I'm more alive in these chains than I was when I was free. 
Now, that's an oxymoron. How could that be? You know, the things of God are craziness to this world. It's foolishness to this world. But when you know God, I mean, you can't explain it. You just live it and enjoy it. And Paul is saying, listen, again, I'm telling you, rejoice, just like I'm rejoicing. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, he's speaking prophetically here because there was a time there that he doesn't know whether he's going to be executed or not. But he's saying, I'm going to be delivered. Somehow God is going to deliver me. Now, I don't know if when he wrote these words, he was thinking whether deliver physically or deliver, amen, by taking him on. But Paul knew that through the midst of their prayer, in conjunction with the help of the Holy Spirit. Folks, let me tell you something. If you pray and the Holy Spirit is not engaged in your prayers, then your prayers are vain repetition. Sometimes even in the church, we become uh, just uh, uh, robotic in the way that we pray. And that's why it's difficult for people to develop a life of prayer because they're trying to develop a habit or a discipline without engaging the Holy Spirit. That's why every time you kneel down to pray, you got to invite Holy Spirit to come. Come and take over. He's saying, listen, when you guys pray and the Holy Spirit teams up with you guys, I know that this is going to produce my deliverance. That's why when we pray, we got to pray not only in our human understanding, but we got to pray in the Spirit. Because the Spirit will delve into areas that we don't understand with our mind, but, but, but he will bring them, amen, to our consciousness and we begin to pray them, amen, and breakthrough begins to happen. There's times that even with my understanding, I've begun to pray, and without speaking tongues, I felt the Holy Spirit come over me, and all of a sudden, my prayer changed into something I never would have even planned or thought of. He pushed me to intercede for something that was not even in my agenda when I knelt down to pray. As a matter of fact, when I knelt down to pray, the only thing in my agenda was me. <laughs> Isn't that sometimes what happens when we kneel down to pray? Is God heal me. God deliver me. God provide for me. God give me. God this. I need this. I need that. Amen. But when you pray in the Spirit, the Spirit of God takes over your prayer. Amen. And you begin to utter words that were not even part of your prayer or prayer language. And so that also incorporates praying in the spirit, praying in tongues. And how we always teach in this church, when you pray in tongues, you're praying in a language that the devil cannot interfere because he does not understand. So these people knew how to pray in the spirit. And Paul's saying, as you pray and you pray with the help of the spirit, amen, I know my turn will come for me to be delivered. Verse number 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You see what he's saying? He's saying, I know I'm going to be delivered. Now, I don't know if I'm going to be delivered physically. I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to die in this imprisonment, but I know I'm going to be delivered because either by life or by death, God is going to be glorified. People are worrying today about dying. True for the matter, many have died as a result of this virus. I would, I would have loved if someone would have been able to, to do a statistics of those believers that died as a result of this virus in comparison to people that, had, that didn't have Christ. Because I would dare to say that it would, even in their most critical hour, 
even when they were about to take their last breath. I believe that every believer that dies in Jesus up to their last breath, God sends angels. God sends a company of angels to alleviate whatever pain they're going through, to subside whatever, whatever they're experiencing. And even before they take their last breath, they're already starting to breathe heaven. They're already starting to experience heaven. I had the opportunity to talk with a friend of mine who I had lost connection with for over 30 years. Facebook. <laughs> Facebook. You see what Facebook does? Now, we, I'm not looking for those friends that I don't want to. I'm looking for the ones that are, are blessing to my life. So don't use Facebook to try to find people that God took out of your life. Alawa. Yeah, yeah. Some people use Facebook to try to go find people that God took out of your life. If God took them out, don't go searching for them. Leave them alone. Pray for their salvation. But I was connected with this, this friend of mine that I knew for 30 years. He's a successful man of God, pastor in Connecticut. Beautiful congregation, traveling the world. And he was sharing because his dad had been my pastor 40-some-odd years ago. And he was sharing how his mom had passed away uh, three and a half years ago. And so that was very sad, you know, because we loved her. She was a beautiful woman of God. But since I lost contact, I didn't know of her passing. But he said, this is the second time that she passed away. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, she had died two years prior at home. Really? So how did she come back? Well, while, she, while her body was laying in bed and they had already called, you know, for them to come and get the body, my dad, he lied, he lied down on top of her body and he began to cry out to God. And he began to say, Lord, not yet, please, not yet. And as soon as he began to cry out to God, she started, the spirit and the soul came back into her body. And she began to share what she had experienced. She said she had already made it to heaven. She said she had already met Jesus and she was like in awe. She, was, she had even forgotten who she was here on earth. But she said that as she was about to settle in, Jesus Christ himself told her, daughter, you must return. And she questioned, why? I don't want to go back. Because your husband has cried out to me for you to return. He needs you for a little longer. And because he's been a faithful servant of mine and has been a man of integrity and has been someone that has been faithful to my call, I have no alternative but to honor his requests. So I'm sending you back just for a short time. So she came back for two years. And at the end of those two years, God took her home. And so my ex-pastor, right now he's 90 years old, but he's at peace now because he knew that God gave, him, gave her to him for a couple of more years. And when it was our time to go, God took her. Amen. And so that's, it's just amazing. How is it that, that we as believers, amen, even whether we live or whether we die, man, is all for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's all, for, it's all for, for him. He says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. 
I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But verse number 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. In other words, if I had the choice, now Paul wasn't suicidal, folks. He said, if I have the choice, I'd rather be with Christ. But he wasn't saying that because he was suicidal. He just, he just, he knew God in such an intimate way that he knew that, that dying for Christ was so much better than, than living here on earth. But he said, but for your account, then I'm willing to continue to live. This is how much he loved these people. That he said, if I'm, if I'm given a choice, then I'll stay for a little while longer simply for your account. Amen. And so, verse number 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So he's saying, I don't know if I'm going to die, I don't know if I'm going to live, but under the utterance, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, God has given him kind of an insight. No, you're not going yet. You're going to come back to my my people in Philippi, and so I will come back to you again. Verse number 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and in one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightening in any way by, by opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation unto God. So as we remain faithful, Paul is saying, as you remain faithful, as you remain committed, as you remain united in one mind, in one faith, in one spirit, as you remain striding side by side for the faith, in other words, as you collaborate, amen, this will be a sign to those that hate you, your opponents, it will be a sign of their destruction, but it will be also a sign of your salvation and that from God. For it is, verse number 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and not and now here that I still have. In other words, what was Paul's conflict? It was not a conflict that he was looking for. It was a conflict that came upon him because of the choice that he made, which was to be an apostle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, when you decide to serve Jesus and when you decide to do the work of the Lord, you can rest assured you're going to have conflict. You can rest assured, even, even within yourself, there's going to be conflict. When you decide to serve the Lord, there's going to be times where, you, where your worst enemy is going to be yourself. Amen. But, but when you're focused, when, you're, when, 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 when you stay, amen, uh, aligned with, with God's purpose for your life, amen, you're able to overcome whether the conflict from from the outside or whether it's within, you'll be able to overcome it, amen, because you know that every day that you live, you live it with a divine purpose. And because of a divine call. We're not here to waste our time. We're here to invest our lives. We are here to expend our lives 
for one thing and one thing only. And that's the only thing that really matters is Jesus Christ and the propagation, the proclamation of his gospel. Make that your goal from this day forward. Get off, get off of that, that train of complaining and whining and having your own little wine parties and woe is me and you're acting like if you're worse than Job and begin to praise God in the midst of your situation and begin to look for opportunities to share the gospel with others and begin to check your attitude so that as you go through what you're going through, amen, what you project to others will be hope, joy, encouragement, grace, amen. That is what God is calling us to do. And so I bless you this morning. I bless you this morning. I bless you mothers and I bless you the entire family this morning that is watching. Amen. And I pray that these words will be an encouragement uh, to you. This is what um, C.S. Lewis he tells the story of the death of his mother. It, it, it is, it, the story is told by George Sayer in a biography he wrote about C.S. Lewis. He tells the story of the death of Lewis' mother, Flora, who passed away when C.S. Lewis was only nine years old. After falling ill, Flora Lewis laid on her deathbed. Her husband, Albert, sat with her and tried to comfort her. In the middle of the night, Albert spoke to her of the goodness of God. Like a flash, Flora said to him, what have we done for him? Those were the last words that Albert heard come out of the mouth of his wife. That was the prayer that he will never forget. As she laid in her life draining from her body, as she laid with her life draining from her body, Flora Lewis was concerned about one thing, what she had done for God with the time on earth that she had been given. She was not concerned about her personal comfort. She was not concerned about what would become of her material possessions. Her main focus was not even on her family, whom she was leaving behind, but on God, whom she was going to meet and what she had done for him. That's the way that we should live our lives. And when we reach the end, that's the only thing that should matter to us. What matters most to you? We know what matters most to, most to Paul. It was Jesus, and it was proclaiming his gospel. My question is, what, what matters most to you? And you can answer that by what you're investing your life into most. Amen. God bless you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the honor, the privilege that you give us to be able to share your word, Father. I pray for every, especially every mother, I pray blessings. Lord, and I pray that this word would uh, just uh, resonate in their hearts. But I also pray this over the, the men that are watching and the children, that this word resonate in their hearts. Lord, that as I said last week, that we would take a, a, an inventory of our lives. And as we take that inventory, Father, 
whatever comes out of that inventory, that we would make a choice to make you first and foremost and to make the Great Commission, oh God, the main priority, the main thing that we would invest our lives even unto death, Lord. And so we just pray this. Let the church arise, oh God, and let the church once again begin to bear children by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that many would come to the saving grace of, of Christ Jesus. Particularly now as we go through this crisis, as this be, begins to wind down, oh God, let the church once again be impregnated with that gospel and be able to bring forth spiritual children, Father. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ and we give him praise. Amen and amen.